Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Streaming Charts with Dan. I know it's been a while since we did the last show, but that's probably going to be the rhythm of this show. We might go two or three weeks in between episodes, but we'll always catch up on the charts and the data from those weeks in between. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the show when I really feel like there's a main story to sink my teeth into. So we are going to get to a lot of streaming data that we haven't looked at in the past couple weeks. But let's look first of all at our main story, which involves a Best Picture winning film film that is now apparently unavailable on any streaming platform, at least here in the United States, in its original form. And I will say up front that there are parts of this discussion that may get uncomfortable, but the reason that I'm having this discussion is because I think that it involves art and censorship and making sure that movies stay available in their original forms and to their creators' visions, and that's why we're having this, because I think it's a very important discussion. The film in question is The French Connection, which won the Best Picture Academy Award for film year 1971. The movie also won Academy Awards for Gene Hackman for Best Actor, William Friedkin for Best Director, as well as the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay and the Academy Award for Best Film Editing. If you're not familiar with The French Connection, you've probably seen footage from it before because it has a very famous chase scene as Gene Hackman follows an elevated subway train, and it's generally regarded as a gritty 1970s crime drama, which may be what put a target on it, apparently, for this censorship that we're going to talk about. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the bar and get on the wall. Come on, move. As originally reported on the website Hollywood Elsewhere, The French Connection has been edited on several streaming platforms, as well as reportedly in recent in-person revival screenings. Now, the rights to the film have been owned by Disney since they acquired Fox a few years ago, so it would seem that they are in control of which copies of the movie would go out to various distributors. Now, the first thing that I did when I read about this was to confirm for myself where and how this censorship had occurred, and I grabbed, first of all, my copy of The French Connection from my shelf. I own it on Blu-ray as I own many films on physical media. I am a big physical media guy, and sure enough, I was able to confirm that the original version of the scene was intact on that Blu-ray, which isn't surprising because it's an older edition. I then set out to find where I could confirm that the editing had occurred, and this is where I could personally confirm that the scene in question was missing. I rented the video from Amazon, watched it, and the scene in question had been cut out. I then purchased purchased the movie from iTunes to see if that made any difference, and the scene had also been cut out of that version of the film. Perhaps most disturbing, and this was noted in the initial reports as well, the Criterion channel. I mean, Criterion is probably the foremost name in film preservation, but when you stream the film on the Criterion channel, the scene is cut out there as well, and that is very distressing because the Criterion collection and Criterion in general is a very trusted name. So to know that they are hosting a edited version of a film on their platform completely without annotation is not great news for film lovers. Now, some people might say, well, maybe this was some kind of a mistake or it was a it was a made-for-TV version, but nothing else has been changed. It's not like the other swear words and everything and violence are cut out of the movie. Those are all still intact. And I was also able to confirm using a VPN that the version of the French Connection that is streaming in the UK on Disney Plus is intact. It does not have 
the scene removed. So it appears that the French connection was edited only for US streaming platforms. Now this is where it may get a little uncomfortable because the scene that is cut out of the film, and not even a scene, a part of a scene that was cut out of the film, contains two racial slurs. One typically directed at Italian Americans, another typically directed at African Americans, at least here in the United States. And it seems to be perhaps that's why this scene was removed from the film. So I am going to show you the scene so that you can get the context of what was cut out, but the slurs will not be in this clip because ironically, even though this is a video about censorship, if I were to keep them intact, it's very likely that this video would get demonetized or age-gated altogether. And I wanna make sure that, you know, people can still have access to it. So this is the scene in question with the slurs removed for the purposes of this clip. Need a little help there? You dummy. How the hell did I know he had a knife? Never trust him. He could have been white. Never trust anyone. Going sick? No. Now, as you can see, this entire exchange is cut out of the version that's available everywhere but physical media here in the United States, and it creates a continuity error. So if you know the film really well, it is something that you're going to spot, which is initially how this hit people's radars. Going sick? No. Huh, are you going sick? No. Somebody apparently decided that this scene should be removed from the film because of its potential to offend and decided not to tell anybody. And there's a word for what this is. Plain and simple, it is censorship. It is the same as going into a library, opening up a book, and crossing out a sentence that you find offensive or that you don't agree with. Now, full disclosure, I was originally going to put this video out yesterday, but I decided to hold a day. And in that original version of the video, I posited that director William Friedkin was perhaps not aware that this edit had been made to his movie. But a statement has come across my desk from the Criterion channel purportedly that has muddied those waters a little bit. I reached out to the Criterion channel to see if I could get some clarification on this and did not hear back. However, a colleague of mine on YouTube here, Robert Meyer Burnett, was able to obtain a statement that's reportedly from the Criterion channel. It was a statement sent directly to an individual who had also inquired about this situation. He allowed me to use the statement here on the show, and this is what it said, quote, We do not censor any content presented on Criterion channel, though in some instances we include a content warning in the description of select films. We also frequently present films in director's cuts and other alternate versions as their makers and other licensors may require. The French Connection is a 20th Century Fox film title that we have under license from Disney, its current owners. This is the only version that has ever been available to us for streaming. The question you raise has come up when we have played the film in the past, and according to our licensor, this is a director's edit of the film. So this does confirm one thing, which is that the copy of The French Connection that's currently streaming on the Criterion channel is licensed from Disney, and that it is the only version available right now to be streamed on various platforms, which makes sense when you consider that the edit is the same on Amazon, the edit is the same on iTunes. If Disney's the licensor, and this is the version of the film that they are licensing, then they should and do match up on platforms here in the United States. Although keep in mind, Disney is also hosting the movie uncut in other countries. 
Now, I don't know William Friedkin personally, but I have seen many interviews with him over the years. I've read many of his published works about the French Connection and other films, and it is hard for me to believe that he himself, as the director, would go in and make this edit to this film, to edit this one scene in the way that it's edited. However, I also don't have anything that contradicts Criterion's statement right now, so let's assume for the moment that William Friedkin did make this edit to The French Connection, that he decided that this scene had to go. First of all, this does not settle the fact that Criterion put out no disclaimer or statement that they were streaming an edited version of the film. And again, film preservation is a key component of their reputation and their mission. They also seem to confirm in this statement that they have hosted this version on their streaming platform before, that this question has come up before, it just didn't really come under public scrutiny. So if this has come up before and they were aware that the version that was on their platform is edited, why not simply notify viewers that they are watching an altered version of the original Oscar-winning film? If Friedkin did approve this edit, and it seems like the ball is now in his court, if the statement is to be believed, then he is the one that could confirm or not confirm whether he made this cut, then I think this puts him in the company of a director like George Lucas. George Lucas did the special editions for Star Wars and then said, well, these are my editions in the movie and you cannot get the original editions anywhere else. Is that within Friedkin's rights or George Lucas's rights as a creator? Well, yes, technically it is, but I think that it's a bad case for film history. I don't mind director changed versions of films that exist. There's a lot of director's cuts and director's edits out there, but you can almost always go back to the original film as well as a reference point. And it seems as of right now, unless you already owned a copy of The French Connection, you can't do that. And I disagree with that fundamentally. The more disturbing option, however, is what if William Friedkin did not approve of this edit? That would mean that Disney lied to Criterion and said that this was a director's edit of the film when in fact it was not. One of these options is worrisome. The other one is completely outrageous. If Disney did this as a licensor, that is an absolute abdication of the responsibility that they hold as the license holder for the creative works of others. That's why I really want to hear what William Friedkin has to say because if he did not authorize this edit, then Disney now has a lot of explaining to do. But whether Friedkin approved the edit or didn't approve the edit, whether Disney is telling the truth or not telling the truth, it seems like the motivation behind cutting this particular scene is very clear, which is that the language in the scene could cause offense or make the audience uncomfortable. But it's hard to actually see it from that perspective because when you dig into the history of the French connection, even the actor who says those words was not initially in favor of using them. This is an interview with Gene Hackman that was done in connection with one of the many releases of this film where he says flat out that he was uncomfortable with this language from the very beginning. The character was a bigot and a anti-Semitic and whatever else. It was difficult for me to say the N-word. Uh, I, I protested uh, somewhat, uh, but there was a part of me that also said, that's who the guy is. I mean, you like him or, or not, that, that's who he was. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't really whitewash it. And I understand his reticence because the specific word that he references is an ugly word and it has an ugly history in this country and also around the world. But as he also stated, he's a cop, 
in New York in the 1970s. You can go back and look at the news and see that there was racial strife, not only between cops and citizens in New York at that time, but between white cops and black cops. And Roy Scheider, the other actor in the scene that was cut, also recalls specifically seeing that scene in a theater upon release and its effect on the audience at the time. The audience applauded, which is mostly a black audience. They applauded. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is what they knew Whitey was thinking anyway. And now somebody has finally said it in a movie. So this isn't even a case of a creative using a word insensitively or using a word in an aggressive manner. This was a conscious choice to reflect the times in which the story was taking place. And it also was not condoning the use of this language, which is why I'm so hesitant in this new era to just hand over the reins to the streamers, to the big streamers when it comes to things like this. We had a whole thing back in 2020 with Gone with the Wind where it was pulled off of streaming platforms because the people that hosted them were worried that its racial insensitivity would be somehow construed as an endorsement. And I agree with what they eventually ended up doing. You can put an introduction on a movie. You can put a disclaimer on a movie. You can have somebody come out and put it in context of when it was made and all of these different things and why some things may make people uncomfortable by today's standards, but you cannot censor films like this. You cannot do this, especially when you try to do it under the stealth of night and just hope that nobody notices it. Some might argue, well, this is well-intentioned because you're just removing instances of two racial slurs that have had a very negative connotation over the years. Well, sure, today that's the truth, but what if somewhere way down the line an executive at a streaming service decides that the kiss at the end of Love, Simon is too inflammatory and needs to be removed from the film? Or when Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse comes out on digital and physical media, what if somebody at Sony decided that the references to social causes that are currently present in the film should be erased so as not to offend anybody? There are a lot of films that offend me. There are a lot of films that have things in them that I think that are offensive and certainly more flagrantly than what was cut out of The French Connection. But endorsing censorship of a movie or any work of art is a very slippery slope because if you allow it in one case, then that gives license for people to do it in even more cases. And maybe that next case is one that you don't agree with. I've faced a fair amount of derision over the last five to 10 years about my obsession with physical media. Why do you keep buying these pieces of plastic? It's because I have a physical version of this film in my hands. It is unalterable unless you come to my house and scratch out a part of the disc. Whereas a movie like The French Connection, if you bought it 10 years ago on iTunes, maybe go back and watch it because Apple absolutely does have the right to go in and put these edits into the version of The French Connection that you've already bought. Star Wars that happened on Disney Plus, they put in McClunky and all these things into versions of Star Wars that already existed on the platform that nobody knew about. Digital files can be altered by the people who host them at any time without notice. That's just how it works. Whereas if you buy a copy of the film, that copy is yours. But I don't want to get to a place where collecting physical media becomes less of a collector's thing and more of an imperative for preserving film history that you have to collect these movies on disc. Otherwise, they're all going to be cut and changed and altered and future generations will never be able to see the original version of them. Like I said, that's why I disagree with George Lucas's complete refusal and apparently barring Disney even after he sold the property from providing the original cuts of the Star Wars trilogy. Future generations should 
should see the art that was produced in generations past. The good, the bad, and yes, the ugly. And I'm not just talking about the movie. And then what I'm really hoping for is some action on behalf of some of the people who are hosting this film currently, particularly Criterion. I love Criterion. The Criterion flash sale, the like four or five times they do it a year, that is like when I wake up and I see the email, it's like Christmas morning for me. I own a lot of Criterion editions. I was a day one subscriber to the Criterion channel service. I'm still a subscriber. But Criterion owes its customers at least a disclosure that they are streaming an edited version of an Oscar-winning film. And quite frankly, I would have anticipated that they would never agree to stream an altered version of a Best Picture winner or any other movie. Their name and their brand is a stamp of legitimacy in the movie world. And this whole ordeal, whichever way it shakes out, really just kind of bums me out. It, it really does as a longtime supporter of theirs. The French Connection has to be restored in its original version somewhere. Put a disclaimer on it, put an introduction on it, but you cannot just take the original version away. That cannot happen because if we allow it to happen now, there's nothing that stops it from happening to this movie and this movie and this movie as we go. And a lot of the people, by the way, that are also angry about this are people that I often am not ideologically in agreement with. But here, I have to fight for the art, and I have to fight for the art form and the preservation of film, and this is just another front in this streaming war, not between streamers, but between streamers and the consumer. We have to fight for the preservation of history, and it starts right now with the French Connection. So that was a fun discussion, right? Some awkward parts to it, but I think a necessary discussion. Let's turn now to the streaming charts to see what these hopefully intact movies and TV shows have been doing and how they've been performing on different platforms. And let's look now first at what the top 10 currently on the iTunes charts are. This is as of yesterday, June the 8th. At number one is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, available for purchase and rental, riding off of the huge success of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The Super Mario Brothers movie, available for purchase and premium video on demand, which would be those high-priced rentals, is at number two. John Wick Chapter 4, currently only available for purchase, is at number three, followed by Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, available for purchase at number four. Blackberry, which had a limited run in theaters, now available for purchase and rental at number five. The DC Universe 10th Anniversary Collection, which is a collection of 30 of the animated DC films for a hundred bucks that's actually a pretty good price is at number six on the chart followed by Creed 3 available for purchase and rental the Pope's Exorcist available for purchase and rental I mentioned Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse its pre-orders are strong enough to put it at number nine on this chart and Guy Ritchie with his second film in the top 10 Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre at number 10 available for purchase and rental Let's turn now to a more recent chart here on the show. We actually have a couple of new charts to talk about today. And this is the top 10 on Amazon Prime Video. And at number one is the docuseries Shiny Happy People about the Duggars, who are reality stars and also very controversial figures. At number two is the James Marsden comedy office-type series Jury Duty, available on Free V, which is sort of the spinoff of Amazon that you can watch for free. At number three, the Amazon original series The Marvelous Mrs. 
Maisel, followed by the Amazon original series Citadel. Then at number five, Air, which is an Amazon original movie. That's why it's marked there as an original, streaming at number five. At number six is George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing, which did not have a great box office run last year, but is on the top 10 here for Prime. At number seven is the MGM Plus series From. At number eight is the movie Medellin, which does not star, sadly, Vincent Chase, but is a Colombian drug action drama story. At number nine is the film Violent Night, and at number 10 is the film She Said. We have a lot of numbers to catch up on when it comes to Netflix, so let's dive right into it. Three weeks worth of charts, starting with the week of May 15th to the 21st, which saw the continued dominance of the Jennifer Lopez film The Mother with a PFV of 48.42. Just a reminder, PFV is my own little metric. It means potential finished views. I take the number of hours watched, I divide it by the runtime. That gives me the number of Netflix viewers that could potentially have finished viewing that movie or program in one week and it basically just kind of puts things on an even keel. So The Mother, an easy number one there. At number two is the Dutch film Faithfully Yours, marketed here as a Netflix original. At number three, the Netflix original series Exo Kitty Season 1, a spinoff of the To All the Boys film series. So we have a Netflix series spun off a series of Netflix original films. At number four is the Bridgerton spinoff series Queen Charlotte with a PFE of 12.77. Then the documentary Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me with a PFE of 8.11. At number six is the Netflix series Muted, which is an original series out of Spain, followed by the South Korean series Black Knight Season 1, the film Que Viva Mexico at number eight, Ted streaming on there at number nine, and Mrs. Chatterjee versus Norway streaming at number 10. Moving on to the week of May 22nd through the 28th, again, the mothers staying on top of the charts with a PFE of 17.79, and then a very similar film called Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day weekend, by the way, in case you didn't know, with a PFE of 15.54. Mother's Day is basically the Polish version of the J-Lo film. Exo Kitty Season 1 stays at number 3. Debuting at number 4 is the Arnold Schwarzenegger Netflix original series FUBAR with a PFE of 12.56. The movie Two Hearts is at number five. This is a movie that was basically buried in fall 2020 during the pandemic soft reopening of theaters. I don't know why it's here, but as with most movies that pop up on this chart inexplicably, I'm just going to say TikTok. At number six is the first season of Muted. At number seven is the film Missing. At number eight is the movie Blood and Gold, a World War II Nazi revenge action movie. At number nine, the Netflix movie Faithfully Yours, and Queen Charlotte is at number 10. And then moving on to the most recent data for the week of May 29th to June 4th, Blood and Gold moves up to the number one spot, followed by FUBAR Season 1. Fake Profile Season 1 is at number three. This is a series out of Columbia, sort of a social media drama. At number four is the film A Beautiful Life, kind of a Danish star is born in reverse, followed by the Spanish killer twins drama Ten and Teen. At number six is J-Lo's The Mother, falling out of the top five. At number seven, The Boss Baby. It's a movie that we see often on these charts, followed by season one of Exo Kitty. At number nine is the film The Year I Started Masturbating. Interesting title there. A Swedish film about a woman's life after a big breakup. And at number 10 is Mother's Day. Looking at the most watched Netflix programs year to date, in the weeks that we've been gone since our last streaming charts episode, The Mother not only has entered this chart, it is at number one. The Mother now the 
the most viewed 2023 Netflix program by PFV. I have it at a PFV of 117.59, meaning 117 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing The Mother. It's actually on the cusp of being one of the 10 most watched Netflix programs since Netflix started releasing this data a couple of years ago. So The Mother, a very big hit as far as time watched for the streamer. At number two is Murder Mystery 2. At number three, The Night Agent Season 1. At number four, the film Luther, The Fallen Sun. At number five is You People, which was released earlier this year. Your Place or Mine drops to number six. Queen Charlotte goes up to number seven. Jenny and Georgia Season 2 gets bumped down to number eight. Wednesday Season 1, the spillover viewership from last year is bumped down to number nine. And the original Netflix movie, AKA, is now at number 10. The Netflix original We Have a Ghost is now off the chart for 2023. So we just caught up on three weeks of Netflix. How about three weeks of Nielsen streaming numbers of which we have a lot. So let's look first of all at the week of April 24th through the 30th, keeping in mind that these numbers are delayed by about a month and even more so since we've taken a couple weeks off. So bear with me here. So for the week of April 24th through the 30th, the most watched movie on streaming, according to Nielsen was I want to dance with somebody on Netflix, followed by the debut of Peter Pan and Wendy on Disney plus with an estimated 7.95 million hours watched. Then the debut of AKA on Netflix with 4.9 million hours watched. Then Moana, a perennial favorite here on this chart. Then Netflix is a tourist guide to love at 3.6 million hours watched, followed by Apple TV Plus's Ghosted at number six, Encanto at number seven, Cocaine Bear at number eight, Ticket to Paradise at number nine, and then on Peacock, Champions with 2.2 million hours watched. That and Cocaine Bear on the chart gives us the rare double Peacock here on the Nielsen charts. Looking at the 10 most watched streaming shows for the week of April 24th through the 30th, Netflix's The Diplomat was at number one. Firefly Lane debuts at number two with 18.4 million hours watched, followed by the final season and other seasons of Better Call Saul on Netflix. Sweet Tooth, which saw its second season debut, comes in at number four with 15.4 million hours watched, followed by Coco Melon, always a fixture on these charts. Ted Lasso at number six with 13.2 million hours watched. This was in the midst of its most recent season. Disney Plus's Blueies at number seven. NCIS, which splits between Netflix and Paramount Plus, is at number eight. Then we have the debut of Working Moms on Netflix at number nine with 10.7 million hours watched, and the return of Grey's Anatomy at number 10. You'll see I made a new badge there for shows that are returning to the chart versus being new to the chart. When we look at this week as far as watch time per available episode for the Nielsen Top 20 streaming shows, John Mulaney, Baby J, which was his latest stand-up special since it's just one episode, brings in 6.32 million hours watched per episode, followed by The Diplomat with 2.9 million hours watched for each of its eight episodes, then Sweet Tooth with just under a million hours watched per episode, followed by The Night Agent at number four, Beef at number five, Firefly Lane at number six, Coco Melon at number seven, Ted Lasso at number eight, The Mandalorian at number nine, having completed its most recent season with 345 5,000 hours watched per episode, and then Succession able to make this chart with 270,000 hours watched per episode in the midst of its final season, which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. 
Let's move now to the week of May 1st through the 7th, which saw the debut of A Man Called Otto on Netflix and a big number, 14.6 million hours watched, easily number one there on the chart. At number two is Pitch Perfect with 7.9 million hours watched, followed by AKA at number three, The Dilemma at number four, and The Crudes at number five. The first week of the month brings a lot of new movies on Netflix, so we often see them dominating the top five here. Peter Pan and Wendy slips to number six. Encanto is at number seven. Moana is at number eight, so three in a row there for Disney Plus. Above Suspicion on Netflix is at number nine and The Glass Castle is at number 10. The most watched streaming shows for the week of May 1st through the 7th. Just a couple of new shows here. This week covered the debut of Queen Charlotte, which brought in 31.4 million hours watched in the US alone. Firefly Lane is at number two, followed by Sweet Tooth at number three, Coco Melon at number four, and NCIS at number five. Bluey's there at number six, followed by Ted Lasso hanging around the chart at number seven. The Diplomat at number eight, Better Call Saul at number nine, and then returning to the chart, The Big Bang Theory on HBO Max. It's always hovering right around there around the 10 spot, 10.6 million hours watched to make the top 10. Looking at watch time per available episode this week, Queen Charlotte easily topping the chart with 5.24 million hours watched per each of its six available episodes. The Diplomats at number two with 1.48 million hours watched per episode, followed by Sweet Tooth topping 1.11 million hours watched per episode. Then we have Firefly Lane at number four, The Night Agent at number five, Coco Melon at number six, Beef at number seven, Ted Lasso at number eight, Succession also still on the chart here, 231,000 hours watched per episode at number nine, and The Mandalorian at number 10. And then looking at the most recent week that we have Nielsen data for, May 8th through the 14th, the top 10 most watched streaming movies, that's headed by The Mother, which debuted with 23.9 million hours watched in the U.S. alone, followed by A Man Called Otto with a strong number two, 20.4 million hours watched. Then The Crudes at number three, Que Viva Mexico at number four with 4.9 million hours watched, Pitch Perfect at number five, G.I. Joe Retaliation available on both Netflix and Paramount Plus hits the charts at number six. Spider-Man Homecoming is over on Disney Plus this week with 2.9 million hours watched. Then we have Moana and Encanto, the gruesome two some of Disney Plus. They're not gruesome. I just like that word. And then Heat on Netflix with 2.6 million hours watched. That was a selection for Dan's Movie Club over on Patreon this past month. So I'm going to take credit for that one there. Looking at the most watched streaming shows for the week of May 8th to the 14th, Queen Charlotte's at number one, followed by NCIS at number two, Bluey actually topping Coco Melon at number three with 11.7 million hours watched, Firefly Lane at number four, Ted Lasso in the top five at number five with 11.1 million hours watched. Then Coco Melon at number six, Missing Dead or Alive premiering on Netflix with 10.5 million hours watched. Then Sweet Tooth at number eight, Better Call Saul at number nine, and The Big Bang Theory hanging around at number 10. Then looking at this week by watch time per available episode, we have Queen Charlotte at number one with 5.23 million hours watched per episode, basically dead even with where we saw it in its premiere week. Missing Dead or Alive at number two with 2.64 million hours watched per episode. The controversial Queen Cleopatra at number three, 1.42 million hours watched for each of its four available episodes. It fell off the Netflix charts very quickly, so I'm guessing it will probably fall off of this chart quickly. The Diplomats at number four, Sweet Tooth is at number five, Coco Melons at number six, Firefly Lane is at number seven, Bridgerton returning to the chart with all of the interest around Queen Charlotte, 430,000 hours watched per episode at number eight, Ted Lasso at number nine, and Succession hanging in the top 10 with just over 228,000 hours watched per episode. 
For the year to date through May 14th, these are the most watched streaming movies in the U.S. Black Panther Wakanda Forever remains number one easily with 73.6 million hours watched, followed by You People at number two. Gaining quickly, though, is Moana, which is now clocked 61.1 million hours watched this year. Minions The Rise of Gru drops down to number four. Encanto enters the top five with 42.4 million hours watched. Murder Mystery 2 falls to number six. Your Place or Mine falls to number seven. A Man Called Auto, after just two weeks enters the chart at just over 35 million hours watch and it is poised to make some quick advancement up this chart luther the fallen sun drops to number nine and we have a ghost drops to number 10 the spillover viewership for glass onion is now out of the top movies for this year and to wrap things up, I'm going to show you the most watched streaming series for both 2023 and since they started providing this data from Nielsen Weekly back in 2020. But I've changed it up a little bit. Instead of putting all the shows together on one chart, I found that they were being dominated by the library shows, which are basically shows that don't have new episodes that are premiering on streaming services, but are basically just streaming old seasons to those different streaming services. Instead, I wanted to kind of break it out to show you what the 10 most watched original streaming series are and what the 10 most watched library streaming series are. So we're going to look at those numbers for both 2023 and also from the time we started looking at this data. So we won't look at both of these charts every week. We're going to look at them all this week because it's the first time we've done them. And by the way, the way that I distinguish library from streaming is that if it premieres simultaneously on a streaming service or if they are making episodes exclusively for a streaming service, then it counts as a streaming series. If they are not making original episodes for a streaming service, service and they're instead just streaming older episodes or in the case of let's say South Park where it debuts first on broadcast and then on streaming it counts as a library show. So let's look first at the most watched shows for 2023 so far. And the most watched library streaming series of the year through May 14th is NCIS with 244.3 million hours watched. Overall, it's the number two most watched series of the year so far. Grey's Anatomy's in second place with 182.2 million hours watched, followed by The Big Bang Theory on what is now Max, The Walking Dead on Netflix, and then South Park on Max. New Amsterdam is at number six, followed by Gilmore Girls, Friends, Supernatural, and Criminal Minds. And when we look at the most watched library streaming series from 2020 to the present time, NCIS tops that chart. It's also the most watched series overall from 2020 to present based on the available weekly reports provided by Nielsen. Grey's Anatomy is at number two. Criminal Minds is at number three. Supernatural is at number four. Gilmore Girls is at number five. The Office, remember when that was on Netflix and everybody watched it? The viewership fell off hard after its move over to Peacock, but it still put up over 400 million hours watched, and that's good enough for number six. Schitt's Creek is at number seven. The Big Bang Theory at number eight, Friends at number nine, and Shameless at number 10. So let's look now at the 10 most watched original streaming series for 2023 so far. And Coco Melon, which does now produce original episodes for Netflix, so I'm counting it as an original streaming series, is at number one with 247.3 million hours watched. But look at Bluey. It may actually be threatening Coco Melon's dominance here on the top. It's got 219.9 million hours watched. And if it can keep topping Coco Melon as far as viewership numbers over the next few weeks, then we could see a real contest here. Jenny and George is at number three for the year, followed by The Night agent at number four and you at number five the last of us is at number six impressive considering this only counts views on hbo max and not 
on the broadcast cable network. Outer Banks is at number seven. The Mandalorian is at number eight. Love is Blind is at number nine. And Ted Lasso is at number 10. And you can anticipate it continuing to climb the charts because this is just through May 14th and we have a few more episodes left to get ratings for before Ted Lasso wraps forever. Looking now at the most watched original streaming series from 2020 to the present day, Coco Melon is number one and it's not even close. 1.4 billion with a B hours watched, almost double what the second place series has, which is Netflix's Ozark. Stranger Things on Netflix is at number three. Now this pretty much just counts one broadcast season of Stranger Things. So when that final season airs, that's going to move up the charts very quickly. Bluey on Disney Plus is at number four with just over half a billion hours watched, followed by Heartland, which is distributed here in the United States on Netflix. Cobra Kai is at number six. The Crown is at number seven. Manifest is at number eight. Wednesday, which only had one season is still able to make the top 10 that's impressive at number nine and then virgin river is at number 10 so those are your new streaming charts for nielsen and like i said i will only update those overall charts when there is an update to make so it won't always be this long and we may not always have three weeks worth of streaming data to get to it's just kind of how the schedule works out so before we go let's look at a few streaming releases that are coming up in the next 10 days to two weeks or so streaming right now on apple tv plus is the crowded room starring tom holland marissa tomei and amanda seyfried the first three episodes are now available to stream. I've seen a lot in the news about this series in the last week or so. Also streaming right now on Disney Plus and Hulu is the Eva Longoria-directed film Flamin' Hot about the creation of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Next week on June 14th, Hulu's revival of The Full Monty as an original series streams with eight episodes. Then next Thursday, we have Black Mirror Season 6 streaming on Netflix. Also next Thursday, the second season premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds will be happening over on Paramount+. Plus. Then next Friday, we have Extraction 2 making its debut on Netflix, the first film a big hit for the streaming service back in 2020. Also next Friday, Outlander, the first part of season seven, will be premiering on Stars. And finally next Friday, a new documentary on Stan Lee called, well, Stan Lee debuts on Disney Plus from David Gelb, who's the director of the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And then on Sunday, June 18th, the third season of The Righteous Gemstones debuts on HBO and Max. And that does it for this edition of Streaming Charts with Dan. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to stay tuned right here on the channel. I will, of course, have box office updates on Charts with Dan next week. It'll be a road episode because I'll be out of town, but I will still do the show. I'll also have my review next week of the new Pixar film, Elemental, a spoiler review for The Flash. I'll probably throw in a new show also. The fun never stops here on the channel, and I appreciate you watching. Thank you so much for spending part of your day here with me. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.